tackles. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. That is right, your host Fino alongside... Happy Finals Week, Michigan State University students, and to everyone listening in the 517 area. It's good to be back here on the Pact. 7.02 Eastern Time here on the Pact. The number is always to embrace the Spartan debate. 517-432-3893 is our number. Along with our four great panelists, we have John Yales, our executive producer slash man with the social media behind the glass. So it's always good to have John Yales with us as well. It is a little nostalgic, though, here on the Pact, because we have our own Harry Jaden, the man who sits to my left. It will be the last time he sits to my left here on the Pact. So, Harry, uh, it's kind of a nostalgic show for us and a little bit of an emotional show for me. It is uh, your last show with us. Yeah, it's uh, it's bittersweet for me. You know, uh, I'm sure whoever fills my spot will be a little bit better than me. But uh, no, no, it's been awesome. Uh, being on the radio was awesome. Impact Sports has been great to me, and uh, I'll st- I'll still be involved with Impact Sports, so of course, you can still check it out. That's right. Um, you know, that being said, we also had uh, the tennis season coming to a close um, for men's tennis, so a little nostalgic there. It's yeah. a sappy show here in the Pact. Yeah, no, we lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament, four three, and they were number two in the nation. So we fought hard, we just couldn't get that last win. So yeah, disappointing, but. Even though Harry will be leaving us, the packed crew will still remain in sync. We do have Austin Goodman with us. Goody, how are you, bro? Doing well. How about you, Fina? Not too bad, bro. Not too bad. A lot of sports issues to talk about today. We have a little NHL playoff discussion. The Red Wings going down in five games. We'll talk about that on the pack in a little bit. Donald Sterling has some comments. You'll have listening to Fino's rant on that. That should be pretty intriguing. And it's just a lot of debate. This NCAA student-athlete discussion continues to ring on. Mitch McGarry adding a little gasoline to the flame. We'll have Faith bringing in and talking about that. Faith, how are you, dear? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? Not too bad. Finals week a little stressful, but it feels good to, you know what, put down the books and put up the mics and just talk a little <laughs> sports with everyone. And our Bruins fan behind the glass, I had to say it, Lou Divizio, our engineer, and our other panelists, Lou you probably are feeling pretty happy this evening. Pretty happy, pretty content. Pretty. Yeah, uh, I wonder why. You know, self-confirmed here. I feel good. <laughs> self-confirmed. That's <laughs> right. But <clears throat> before we get into our wings uh, in our NHL playoff discussion, you know, it wouldn't be more fitting to lead off the show with some of Donald Sterling's comments that he made um, in a TMZ report or a, an audio file released by <clears throat> a mistress or a woman. They don't know who released it. They don't know how authentic the tape is. Long story short, making pretty uh, appalling, to say the least, comments about African Americans in the NBA, African Americans itself, and just overall racist comments. And there's no place on this earth, there's no place in any sports arena, there's pretty much no place in the world for such comments to take place, which has you know led such powerful and such powerful debates um, amongst different sports personalities. Stephen A. Smith checking in on, um, on first take this morning on ESPN, along with Skip Bayless. And it was just, you know, pretty unbelievable. I, I, I cannot even express the disappointment and just the overall disbelief, guys, that these comments would even be made. I mean, it's just ridiculous that an NBA owner, or anyone for that man, or sake, would make such comments about certain ethnicities or certain groups of people because at the end of the day I think everyone is an American and I know that goes under you know kind of under the rug a little bit but this is ridiculous uh I just cannot fathom someone making such comments the NBA now is put in such an awful position the Clippers are put in an awful position that they are protesting now uh Mark Jackson head coach of the Golden State Warriors are saying that fans should protest game five I actually disagree with those sentiments. 
You know, it's not taking away nothing from the players. Look, the West is wide open now. And the Clippers are having the best season in their franchise history. With 55-plus wins. An outstanding season led by first-year head coach Doc Rivers. Former coach of the Boston Celtics. Former NBA champion as a coach. Doc Rivers knows how to lead a team. And he's an outstanding leader. And I expected nothing but class from Doc Rivers after his comments post-game. After yesterday's... Uh, pretty much slaughter on the hands of Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors. I thought it was just straight appalling. The comments that were made, the reaction have been nothing but exceptional and supportive. Michael Jordan with a great stand. Magic Johnson. And, you know, some of the comments were directed directly at Magic Johnson. And I thought Magic Johnson handled it also with class, just like Doc Rivers did. Classy, but just a great individual. You know, Magic Johnson is revered, obviously, in the NBA, a Hall of Famer. An owner, not in the NBA, but in the, in the Major League Baseball. You know, he lives in Los Angeles. He bleeds Los Angeles. And to have an owner such as Donald Sterling take everything Do- uh, Magic Johnson has gone through and done in his life and just kind of rip it all down. To me, these comments are just, just absolutely disgusting. And I say they're disgusting because when you look at it, guys, you're taking everything away from the Clippers. As I mentioned, the West is wide open. You know, these players now need to talk about this issue. Chris Paul is not only president, not only the starting point guard of the Los Angeles Clipper, he is the president of the NBA Players Association. He doesn't want to make a comment about this, nor should he, because right now his team is in the middle of a playoff run. They made an outstanding statement with black armbands, black socks, some some wore black headbands. They wore their uh, their warm up warm up shirts inside out. They took off their warm up jackets at center court center court rather with the Clippers logo on it. I think it's I think it's ridiculous, and they need to do something about it. And Adam Silver needs to do something about it, in my opinion. And guess what? This guy cannot be an owner anymore. He cannot be an owner. And I was actually surprised. I you know I was wondering whether this man should be an NBA owner. And to be honest, I thought there was nothing he could do. But I'm going to read every you know the listeners a quick excerpt of the NBA Constitution. And the many question is, is it possible for Commissioner Silver to for the NBA to basically terminate Sterling's franchise ownership? The answer is this, quote, under the terms of paragraph 13 of the Constitution, the owners can terminate another owner's franchise with the vote of three-fourths of the NBA Board of Governors, which is composed of all 30 owners. The power to terminate is limited to things like gambling and fraud in the application of ownership. But it also includes a provision for termination when an owner, quote, fails to fulfill a contractual obligation in such a way as to affect the NBA or its members adversely. Silver and the owners could assert that Sterling's statements violated the Constitution's requirements to conduct business on a reasonable and ethical level, end quote. To be honest, there's no way this man could continue as an owner in the NBA, and anything short of tolerance of these comments will be complete regression of what our country has gone through the last 60 to 70 years of racism. There is no place in the world for racism, and if the NBA were to take a stance and eliminate his ownership, that would that would completely set the standard that Donald Sterling is no longer welcome in the NBA, but in any sports arena that this great country has to offer. Back after this. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pact. 
Stephen Smith just took a swat at Charles and Charles told him, really? You really want to do that? That wasn't smart for Brendan Smith. Lucic just drops him with a hit. Brooks drive scores! Bergeron intercepts, takes a shot at the open net, and ends it! Lucic scores from Soderbergh! Again, the wings yielded space. The Bruins took it. That's just bad coverage by Detroit. Krejci settles it, tosses the saucer pass to Hamilton, the rich shot deflected, score! Jerome McGinley and Milan Lucic in front! Five seconds left to the period, five seconds left to the period, Wings don't get it out, Krogan Fox, Lucic gets it! Now, if the listeners are wondering why we opened up with shipping up to Boston with a pretty much highlight reel of the series that really wasn't of the Bruins and the Red Wings, well, there was a bet made last week on the Pact basically saying that if Boston would win this series, Austin would have to stomach listening to uh, opening up a segment on the show of shipping up to Boston and a complete highlight reel of Tuka Rask or Jerome Gindler or Milan Lucic. Yeah, I mean, Goodman, I just want to know your thoughts on this, bro. I, uh, I don't feel well after that. But I held, you know, I kept my bet. I kept my side of the bet. And he, uh, you know, good job, Lou. Good job. Yeah, I mean, Lou, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. But the series really wasn't a series. And I'm, I, I remember on the show, I was like, you know, I really want to pick with my... I really want to pick with my heart and my gut, but I'm picking with my brain. Or so I, I forget what I said. I'm sure we have the audio file of it somewhere. And I, I'm like, you know what? I think the Bruins are going to win this series. But you know what? Wings in seven. I said wings in seven. And to me, when they started off winning one nothing that game one, I thought, okay, maybe Detroit's in the driver's seat a little bit, Lou. I thought about it, but this series, when it went on game two, game three, game four, game five, and it was only game five, and it just was an embarrassment. Detroit couldn't really get anything going on. I wouldn't, you know, an embarrassment is a little harsh, but Boston is just really good. And if anyone had any, if some people were second guessing the Bruins, but if you're second guessing the Bruins now, Lou, uh, think again. This team's for real. Absolutely, you know, and uh, I think really when you could tell, I I, I had picked them in six. You know, you picked Detroit in seven. Uh, Austin did also, but I picked Bruins in six, and I was kind of surprised. Uh, that the Bruins did win so handily, but after, I believe it was the overtime game, it was game four, I think, when uh-huh. that was just everything Detroit had, you know? I mean, you could tell that was everything they had. They came out with the 2 nothing lead. Boston kind of played uh, not so well in the first period, and then they just turned it up and turned it up and kept going. And by the time the overtime came around, it was all Boston. And you could tell D- Detroit just had nothing left. They had nothing left, but you know what I'm really disappointed about? I had game six tickets. I was going to go. I That's a disappointment. Yeah, I had, yeah game that six, is a disappointment. I had game six tickets. I was going to go to this game. I wanted to see some octopi on the ice. But apparently not because the Wings looked abysmal at home. They didn't do anything right, in my opinion. And I don't know, Austin. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the series because, to me, Detroit got outplayed, outhustled, and they were just weren't physical enough to play with the Bruins. It was an atrocious series for anybody that's watching. For me, for Lou. It's a big statement from you. Oh, absolutely. I will say that 100%. I'm a massive Red Wings fan. I'm a supporter. I talk about them. I'm the host of Octopi Hockey Town. Listen, they were outplayed. They were outplayed on the penalty kill. They were outplayed on the power play. They were outplayed on five on five. They were, you know, they didn't block enough shots. They didn't get in front of the net. They didn't, you know, pose enough quality scoring chances. Sounds like they didn't do anything right. Like, pretty much. And I will agree with that statement. It is an embarrassing loss for anybody in Detroit. It was an embarrassing loss. It was embarrassing for the players. It was embarrassing for Coach Mike Babcock. And there's a lot of things that need to be handled on the Red Wings blue line because I think that is where it all starts. You know, for me, in Game 4 and Game 5, Jonas Gusevson, he played great. He took 40 shots. 40 and, shots in Game 4. And we'll debate about that because yeah. that's a whole other issue. Absolutely. B- bringing Jimmy Howard. You know, we brought Jimmy Howard up, and I would say that Jimmy Jimmy Howard in Game 2 and Game 3, pathetic. 
absolutely pathetic. Well, we'll talk about Jimmy Howard in a second here, Goody. But to me, I think the bigger story was just Boston playing their game. And I think, Lou, if Boston was going to win this series, it was going to be on Boston's terms. And boy, did Claude Julien and his team look so disciplined. They had a game plan. They knew what they were doing. And to me, I saw a team that wasn't Detroit. The whole series... Detroit's not scoring goals. Detroit's MOs has got to be scoring goals. Boston's going to try to get you to play defensively. And guess what? They got Detroit to play their game. And to me, that's why the series swung in Boston's favor. You're right. You know, and I think one of the biggest problems Detroit had was their puck responsibility. You know, uh, Austin mentioned the blue line, but a few times, and I was really surprised to see Pavel Datsuk. He had the puck a couple times in his own zone, and there was one play in particular. Tried a backhand pass all the way through the slot, a breakout pass on his backhand uh-huh. from the corner below the goal line, and it got picked off. I mean, what a surprise. Franzen did the same thing. Datsuk didn't get burned. Boston didn't score on that play. But Franzen did the same thing, and I think it was the Lucic goal because he gave it up. Krug pinched in, took out the pass. You can't be giving away the puck like that in your own zone. If you're not playing well... If you're not skating, if you're not scoring, at least you can protect the puck in your own net and have some sort of in your own end rather and have some sort of responsibility. And Detroit didn't have that. You want to know why I was so surprised about this series? I thought with Henrik Zetterberg coming back, I think they would have more life. He did score, but I thought they would look way better than what they did. Could he dump penalties? Detroit's they're taking when Detroit is taking too many men on the ice as one of their when with you're three ta- minutes left with three minutes left in the game in a game that you need to score what two like two goals basically. Okay, you're taking too many men on the ice. I mean, yeah. eh, it's just, I, I, know exa- I don't get it. I know exactly what you're saying. G- up till game four, they were 0 for 9 on the power play with seven shots. That's pathetic. But, and it, what, what really bothered me, at 16-08, Zetterberg scores. It's a 3-2 game. You don't take that penalty at 16:56. What basically Austin said, with three minutes left, you put yourself in a chance to win the game. In the NHL, guys, you don't know what happens. Did you watch that Stars and Duck game yesterday? Are you yeah, serious? That was a tremendous game. That's yeah. an awesome game. Never give up. I thought for sure Dallas will have that game in the bag. I was five seconds away from turning that game off, but Anaheim scored. It's 4-3, and now we have a game. You know, I would say that this was probably the worst series outside of the Montreal-Tampa Bay series. Honestly, for the for the NHL playoffs this season, it was the worst series. You want to know why I thought this series was worse than that series? Because I thought Detroit would give us more of a dogfight. I really did. Absolutely. I thought, look, NBC had their number one crew. Doc Emmerich is their number one guy. Mike Emmerich, NBC uh, Sports. He's their number one play-by-play announcer. So that you can just get in the telecaster's mind who what they think the best series is going to be. A six original team matchup. Two great teams, tremendous history. You're telling me you thought Detroit would get smoked in five games? No way. Neither did NBC. They threw their number one crew at the game. And guess what? I thought it would be a better series. That Montreal series I knew was going to be kind of, you know, not on the same pedigree as this Boston-Detroit series. But the fact that Detroit looks so poor is just so disappointing, not only from a hockey fan, but you got to be, from a wing standpoint, disappointed. Absolutely. You know, I do want to point this out, though. Pavel Datsuk, not to blame at all. He's the only Red Wing that got on the ice and played well. Johan Franzen didn't put a puck in the net. That is pathetic. Johan Franzen is supposed to be a playoff Goal scoring monster. Oh, he I wasn't. You I can't, can't stick it on one player's back. Though. Oh no, it was I, the whole team. You oh know? no, absolutely. And I, I could list way more players. Daniel Alfredson didn't have any points. Jakob Kindle, Kindle was terrible. Jakob Kindle was the worst defenseman on the ice next to Brian Lashoff. Falling, he was bad. Uh, he fell. Wow. When a guy was just coming up on him because he just lost his feet. You can't even debate that. I mean, Detroit looks so bad. But look at you know what's so funny. Because all the Detroit fans here on Michigan State's campus in the mid-Michigan 517 area, they're so high on Spartan prospects in the NHL. No one was talking about Tory Krug this week because he's a he's wearing the beast sweater. And guess what? I thought Tory Krug was an unsung hero. That His maturation as an NHL player is pretty special to watch, Lou. Let's talk about that for a while because you, if you remember in 2011 when the Bruins won the Cup, they were the only team in Stanley Cup history to win a playoff series without a power play goal in the first round against Montreal. And they picked up Caberlet at the time because they needed a puck moving Thomas Caberlet, yep. yeah. Tom, Thomas Caberlet, former uh, Leaf, um, among other places. So he came in. He was supposed to be the savior for the power play. He did nothing. He was terrible. Next year, they tried to get somebody in. Couldn't find anybody. Then all of a sudden, they pick up Krug. 
junior, undrafted from MSU, and he's the savior for the power play. I mean, look at how po- he is great potent on- it was. He is unbelievable. He is something, Lou, and I'm so glad you brought up um, Tory Krug's present on the power play. Man, do I feel confident watching Tory Krug manage the point on that power play. So much poise, so much vision. I mean, and his footworkism, it, it really is special because his, his head's foot, up the whole time. His foot movement. His foot movement is It really incredible. is. The way he walks the line, the way he finds seams. You know, that's another thing that when you're watching other teams, not just Detroit, but other teams who really, as far as I'm concerned, don't really match up to Boston. Tory Crew gets his pucks through every time. Could you Have you Get seen... Get pucks to the net. Absolutely. I mean, it's now, just he did have some shots blocked, but he never gets a shot blocked from that first uh, that first man up on him. And that's something that you if could say getting about blo- if, if his shots are getting blocked, it's getting blocked in the very low slot. It's never getting blocked in the high slot. Exactly. He's always putting something too remotely to the net. And that's something to be said about the way he was taught here at MSU, but also... In, in Boston, because they know the second... It's also about defensive responsibility, you know? Pass up a scoring chance or a possible scoring chance if it has a risk of turning around the other way. And you've seen that in a couple series with a shot block up high, shorthanded goal the other way. He broke out. There's no doubt about it. His 2014, 2013, 2014 season was nothing short of a breakout. 40 points, 14 goals, 26 assists in the regular season. And not to mention in this critical Game 5 game, Austin... Third star, two assists, Tory Krug, and the guy looks outstanding. Absolutely. And Patrice Bergeron, Jerome McGinley, Milan Lucic had three goal and assists, plus three rating. You know, I, I liked Milan Lucic as much as it sucked to see him spear Danny DeKaiser, you know, below the waist. That that was rough for me to see because that should never happen in a hockey game. There's no place for that in hockey. That's a dirty move. That's like you know taking your stick like a baseball back and, and swinging somebody in the face with it. That's pretty much what it's like. But this team worked so well together. Patrice Bergeron fed the puck four there's, different times, four assists. There's all no, of them played incredible. There's no doubt about it, Austin. But for me, we can we can come here and talk about how great the Bruins played because look, they came out and won this series. To me, I think the bigger discussion, and I'm curious to know what both of your takes, is what Detroit did incorrectly. Because that's what I think is the major thing. You knew Boston was going to come out and swoop. You know Zidane was going to get his points. You know Lucic was going to do his thing. You know Calm Krejci was going to do his thing. You know all these guys were going to play exceptional hockey. But for me, you just created the biggest rift in my opinion, in that Detroit locker room, because you don't know who your starting goaltender is now. Jimmy Howard is not going to win you a Stanley Cup. I've said this. I, 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 I don't know. I think you're going way I, too. I, I am not. You're going I, way too far. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm not. I agree. No, I agree, Lou. No, he got I, taken out of the lineup because he had the flu. And in that game three, Austin said he played not, terribly in game two and three. I take issue with that because in that game three, Detroit as a team had nothing. They had absolutely nothing. And for the entire game, no. Howard kept it at two nothing. He kept it at two nothing when Boston was thoroughly outplaying Detroit. And that's two nothing is a reasonable deficit to come back from. And that's all you have to ask not, your goaltender to do is keep it close. And he did that, and Detroit couldn't no. come back. It's nothing to do with Jimmy Howard. I, 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 look, all I'm saying is this: I think Jimmy Howard obviously has a key point in this in this team but for what he's making 5.2 million dollars in change whatever he's making it's around there the point is jimmy howard needs to play better hockey for you and guess what austin goodman has said this off air i will bring it up on air gustafson played a better series than jimmy howard by far not remotely close look at the numbers I don't take issue with that, but... I'm just saying. But I still think Jimmy Howard is your go-to. He's your go-to, but I just said he's not going to win you a Stanley Cup. I, I disagree with that. I, if Jimmy Howard could win you a Stanley Cup, but what needs to be done is you need to get some more leadership on the ice, you, you need, need to, to get some more there. toughness, you need to put and you need to have a better club in front of him. It's not Jimmy Howard's fault, and Jimmy Howard is a cup-capable goaltender. I, I Honestly, t- when you look at it, I would almost put Jimmy Howard in the same league as uh, as Marc-Andre Fleury at this point in the playoffs. Who and, won a Stanley Cup. Exa- but but the point is, you talk about his play. Marc-Andre Fleury won a Stanley Cup because their offense is something else. Okay? I disagree with that 100%. Marc-Andre Fleury is a complete flop. Jimmy Howard let up, you know, a few goals. I, I, Jimmy Howard played he gave, poorly he gave compared. Up some brutal goals, guys. Jimmy Howard played poorly compared to Jonas Gustafsson, who played a very good series coming in during game warm-ups during Game 4, which is an incredible feat, and taking 40 shots, only letting up three goals. That is an incredible feat. What I'm saying is that, you know, we also need to take it from this perspective is, Jonas Gustafsson, he's a free agent at the end of the season. And that is right now. The Red Wings need to figure that out right now. Do they want to stick with Peter Morazic, who's had a couple shutouts this season, or do they want to stick with a Jimmy Howard that has been their goalie well, for a while? Well, they have no choice. They're stuck with Jimmy Howard because they owe him tons of money, and no one's going to pick up that contract. They're stuck with him. Absolutely. 
goalie, but what I'm saying is the Red Wings have had a goalie in the regular season before in Chris Osgood, and then Dominic Hasek went and won a Stanley Cup for that. Dominic, Hoc- it- Dominic Hasek is a Hall of Famer. Chris Osgood is as borderline Hall of Fame as it gets. Jimmy Howard will never sniff the Hall of Fame in, the, in his life. Period. You can't. I, you can't even look at those two. Guys. All I'm saying is that you're not giving Jimmy Howard enough credit. Enough credit, and I, it's he is not to blame. It is the fact that the Red Wings went in a game. This is Detroit, guys. Okay, but they went in a game and they lost three to nothing. If you're talking nothing. about a Stanley Cup, Jimmy Howard is capable. I compare him to a guy who's able to win a Stanley Cup. Anti Niemi. Here's a guy he won it in Chicago. The guy's not lights out. He's not a guy who's going to flash you and say, oh, my God, look at this guy in net. What a stud. He's not that guy. But he is solid enough, like Chris Osgood, to win you a Stanley Let Cup. Let me ask you this. If you had if you had Niemi or, uh, or, or Jimmy Howard as your goalie, you're telling me you would rather take Jimmy Howard over Antti Niemi? I'm saying they're He's neck and neck. And actually, yes, you're right. Yeah. I think they're very similar. They're they're, si- but I'm just I'm asking. But yes, I would, would take you, Jimmy Howard. I would take you would Jimmy take. Howard. I, there's no way I would take Jimmy Howard. Absolutely, 100. percent Jimmy Howard makes incredible saves. Look at the stats in the playoffs. Enough said. Look at the stats. Yeah, but it's not just the goaltender. That's what I'm saying. And I remember when I brought up the series and I said the keys for Detroit to win. I said Jimmy Howard doesn't have to be good. He doesn't have to be great. He's got to be lights out, which I didn't think he was capable of. That said, with a better team. With a better team, with he a better is a blue cup line. Ga- exactly. Yeah, but you also didn't think Jimmy line. Howard would play awful, did you? No, and he didn't. I thought he played pretty bad. He did not play awful. This is what I'm saying. Game three. Kept his team in the game. They couldn't do anything. End of story. I mean, look, he let up two early goals in the first period, which were pretty decent goals for Boston. For the Red Wings, they couldn't no. score. Your leading goal scorers were not scoring. Daniel Alfredson led the team the entire season. He didn't have a point in the playoffs at all. Gustav Nyquist led the team in goals, in 28 goals, and he didn't have anything. Nothing. Just zero. a shadow. He was a shadow. I personally, there. listen, I personally thought Jimmy Howard was bad in this series. But I'm, I'm still standing by my sentiments and my feelings that Jimmy Howard will not win Detroit a Stanley Cup. Gotta go elsewhere, boys. It's not happening. I'm sorry. Pack it in. Jim Fossil. I'm throwing all in. This team is not going to win a Stanley Cup playoff with Jimmy Howard as your goalie. What I'm saying is that if the Red Wings rebuild their lineup outside of Brian Lashoff, Jakob Kindle, and Kyle Quincy, get those guys out of here because their time is So who are you bringing in? Who are you bringing in? Okay, well, you have what, the— What cap room do they have? Um, what cap? They don't have any cap room. When you're losing players like Danny Cleary, Michael Samuelson, Todd Bertuzzi, Jonas Gustafsson, all those players are out. Then you can bring in a top of the line, uh, a top of the line defender. You can bring in a top of the line forward. You have to understand that David Legwan might be leaving because he's only a one-year contract signing. There's a lot of room that's going to open up for to get the one or two players that can make this team get to the next level. And you also have to understand that the farm system for the Grand Rapids Griffins, with Ryan Spoil coming up there, Adam Almquist coming up there, and Xavier Olette. Xavier Olette came in and he played ten times better than Jakob Kindle played in any game in the playoffs. All right, so and that's a fact. Alright, so let's go over this. So with all that cap room Detroit has, okay, here, the, here I'm going to list off some names of some unrestricted free agent defensemen because it's safe to say Detroit needs a makeover at defense. Is that is, is, is that a debate That's here? what I'm saying. I'd say so. Okay, so let's bring, in the, let's bring in the guys. Danny Boyle, who's making 6.6 million cap hit, 37 years old. Kimo Timonen, 39 years old, making 6 mil. Okay, Andre Markov, Montreal never will let that guy go. 30, no, there's no chance. Okay, and I don't see 7.5 million. Detroit came in afford him. Pickinen, Joni Pickinen of a Carolina, 4.5 million. I don't see that. I don't see that as a. New Jersey's Marak Zitliski, but Zitliski is offensive defenseman. Detroit really doesn't need that. They need someone who can actually play defense. Okay, there's no way Boston's letting go of Mazaros. He's a free agent. No, I think Mazaros is definitely expendable for Boston. He's hardly played in this series. Yeah, but I still think he played excellent in the regular season. I mean, I think he played him. okay, but I, I, he's not a Bruin. He's gone I, as far as I'm concerned. I don't you, think that would be a bad move. Is Detroit, Detroit bringing back Kyle Quincy? Probably not. I don't think so. Okay, Brooks Orpik. I, I don't think I don't think Pittsburgh lets him go. No, and I I wouldn't want to see him in a Detroit uniform either. Henrik Talinder, Buffalo. Would that be a fit? Talinder would be a fit. Old older Swede kind of bring up Elmquist. I think that actually would be a great move. For Matt Detroit. Green, the healthy scratch. Question for you, Michigan Qu- native. Yeah. What, what about Alexander Edler? Alex Edler's kind of a liability in his own zone, and that's something Detroit doesn't need again. Although he is, I don't think he's a free agent. He is a big guy. Yeah, but he he, he's agent. kind of being shopped also by Vancouver. He's kind of being shopped. It would cost Detroit too much as far as I'm concerned, but I could see that move happening. It would cost a trade. 
a trade of players that you know they They'd could have to trade out. They don't have to make an offer you, sheet. You have to understand where Vancouver is right now. They don't have a very good team. They need draft picks. They need a lot more than the Red Wings do. They would give up Alexander Edler for draft picks and a decent player coming from the Red Wings and a prospect. All right, you have to understand that. Well, the, there's a, there's a lot that goes into the farm system. Well, if, if the Red Wings are looking for a defense, if a defenseman that takes bad penalties, Hal Gill is a free agent. So you can look stand at stand still, Hal Gill. Yeah, stand still, Hal Gill. What about what a, what about a guy named uh, Dustin Bufflin? What, what would you say about him? About he's going not. To there's no. He's, there's he's playing forward now. And anyway, yeah, and he weighs three. And he weighs three hundred pounds. Yeah, and, Dustin Bufflin yeah. actually weighs three hundred pounds. I, I, and I, that's, I can't stand him. That's what, game weight. What I'm saying. After the offseason, what I'm saying is that there are a lot more options that than you are even giving. I'm just listen. I'm not. I'm not denying the fact that they can explore something via trade. All I'm reading is the unrestricted list of 2014 free agents. That's it. I think coming down to it, guys, Detroit needs a makeover at defense. They need to figure out if Jimmy Howard's your goalie. Closing the segment out, guys, is Jimmy Howard your goalie in the future? Yes, absolutely, because he struggled with injuries this season, just like the rest of the team. You're going to see a completely different Red Wings team next year. I I say Jimmy Howard has one more chance next year. To really pull something together, I'm not saying they win a cup next year. I don't think that that has to no be the way. hanging point. But I, I'd say he's got to do something spectacular throughout the regular season. Good mm-hmm. showing, and I think he's the guy. Real quick, one word that describes the 2013-2014 Detroit Red Wings season. Hurt. Injured and under. Well, you know, young young and hurt. Because it, it really was the youth. And, you know, Boston comes I said out. one word, not a, not a monologue. I know, because I didn't want to piggyback well, on it. Well, there's a lot it, to say really about the season. You can't, you disappointing. Can't just, disappointing. I wouldn't call it disappointing. Disappointing. I, I wouldn't call it disappointing. We I, could debate all. Look for us on Octopus Hockey Town. I will take Austin on any day of the week. That's oh, absolutely. Let's go for it. Okay. So look out for Austin's next podcast of Octopi Hockey Town. Lou, you're going to be on that segment, too, on Octopi. Let's well, do it. Yeah, we'll all debate this because, you know, if not, John will kill me behind the glass. We're going to take a quick break here on the pack. When we come back, we're talking this NCAA discussion of student-athletes. What's going on with the unionization of Northwestern, Mitch McGarry saga? We're debating it all here on The Pack and embracing the Spartan debate. You're listening to The Packs on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building without all that smoking. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, everyone. We're back on the Pact here. The number is always to call in. 517-432-3893 is our number, as always. So feel free to embrace the Spartan debate with us here. And, you know, take a little study break, Harry, and a little finals week action. Hopefully you're not a little stressed out, and you can just spend it here with us here on 88.9 FM. But forget the uh, little Red Wings discussion NHL playoff debate that we had. Let's bring back this NCAA discussion that we brought on the show, guys, a couple weeks ago. I bring in Faith, I bring in Harry, a student athlete here at Michigan State University, to kind of talk about this whole. Really, I'm going to call it a scandal, guys. I, I, I honestly think it's a scandal when you when you look at it. This Mitch McGarry instance, where Mitch McGarry gets suspended for one year by the NCAA for testing positive for marijuana where he claims that he smoked just one night in March 
according to Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports when he opened up that investigative report. I was actually shocked it wasn't Michigan State's own Charles Robinson breaking that story because from um, Rico Beard, one of our friends, John, always said, when Charles Robinson calls you, you need to start shredding papers. And I kind of agree with that completely, but it was Dan Wetzel here on the case. I'm just curious to know what you guys think about the NCAA right now going forward with this Mitch McGarry thing. You know, I think uh, being a student athlete, it comes from a different perspective. I do not play a big sport like football or basketball, so it's definitely a unique perspective for me. But with the Mitch McGarry case, I think that it's very, very hypocritical against the NCAA, and it goes against their almost their mission statement because they put a lot of these rules in place where players can't take extra money, players cannot be uh, texted that much by uh, coaches, stuff like that limits on what they can and cannot do, what they can and cannot have. So the players have a, a, a life that a normal student athlete, I mean, normal student would have, them being student athletes. But normal students do not get drug tested, and the NCAA chooses to be drug tested. So I feel like okay. with all those things, this is just another negative thing they're throwing on the student-athletes that the regular student population doesn't have to deal with. So I do think it's very hypocritical of them to test them, and not only test them, but to also punish them so severely. I think a fact that he smoked, we'll say one time, we don't know how many times he smoked, but he well, got Yeah, we, we, yeah. we're not privileged that information. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to say he smoked one time, he got caught. But that's something that students do all the time at, at, at universities across the nation. Some it's students, legal. Yeah. It's legal in two states, as we stated before the show. So I think that a whole year, taking a whole year out of four years of eligibility, that's a lot. That's a huge punishment for something that a lot of kids at universities do on a daily basis. Let me ask you this, Harry. As a student athlete, do you think this punishment is fair? Not at all. No, not at all. I'm just curious. Um, I'm, ju- I'm just curious. I just want to pick your brain a little bit so the listener can hear. Because I personally don't think it's fair, Faith. I think one year suspending a student for, as Harry mentioned, something that is legal in a couple states and areas and towns and whatnot in our country is suspended for a year. I think the cr- the 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 punishment does not fit the crime. Exactly, and that's uh, that's kind of epitomized by the fact that if you would have caught got caught by law enforcement in the Ann Arbor area, that's a twenty five dollar ticket. That's, so so that's nothing compared that's a to a difference. year suspension of, of your eligibility. I think it just goes on the fact, Faith, that you can't trust the NCAA. I think the NCAA is that just that, in my opinion, that shady business person or that shady businessman that no one really wants to do business with, an organization that no one really wants to meddle with because when it affects their bottom, when it affects their bottom line, they're going to do something about it. But when it does or does not, they pick and choose when they want to take action. And we see these instances with Brandon Gibbons in the past and his sexual assault accusation. We see it with the fact with Jameis Winston, the sexual assault accusation. I think it's ridiculous that the NCAA picks and chooses when they want to reprimand an individual. Well, I think the whole NCAA actually just needs to be restructured because I think things are being t- brought to their forefront that they didn't think about. So, you know, this McGarry thing comes, you know, to their, you know, site. And they have down in their rule book that it's a year suspension. And so, you know, McGarry gets that year suspension, you know, from eligibility of playing at Michigan. And then they think about it and they go, oh, maybe we should, maybe that is kind of too harsh. So they knock it down to a half year, but that doesn't imply that McGarry gets that only half a year because it happened before. How unbelievable is that? That I'm so glad Faith brought this up. But I just want our, you know, everyone listening to realize what happened. Mitch McGarry was suspended for a year. For testing positive for marijuana. Now, if he was tested, if he was tested by the state, or I'm sorry, the University of Michigan, the penalty would have been different. But since he was tested by the NCAA, it was an automatic year. And on top of that, after the suspension and the news broke out about the suspension was a year. Ironically, of course, the NCAA chooses to reduce the suspension penalty to half a season. Unbelievable. I think that's why there should be that little restructure because I think they set these bars and then things didn't happen. And then when they re- when they happened, they realized maybe that we have a too harsh of punishment for these athletes. I mean, McGarry, you know, says he only smoked once. I believe what he did was let's wrong. Take his, let's take his word for it. He only smoked he only once. smoked once. We don't know personally. I mean, he only played eight games a season due to his back. But either way, whether he was playing or not in the NCAA tournament, I believe what he did was wrong. He's still an athlete. He still should abide by those rules. When you're an athlete, you sign up for those rules. And so he did it in between, you know, the Big Ten tournament or whatever, and the NCAA tournament. And 
he still has to, you know, uh, like take the punishment. And I think he did in a very well manner. Let's take it from a medicinal aspect here, Harry. Now, he is taken from a state that medical marijuana is legal. That is just the law of the state of Michigan. Now, he has a bad back. Technically, according to the law of the state, that is, you are eligible to apply for medical marijuana for an ailing back. Now, was he using medical marijuana for an ailing back? Probably not. No. But, but how hypocritical is that? That's what you have to look at. How hypocritical is it in the state that he lives in, in the state that he goes to school in, a public school that he can technically use medical marijuana for his ailing back? I'm not saying he could. I'm just saying it looks hypocritical. That doesn't apply, though, to Mitch McGarry because McGarry even admitted he was at a party. He had a few drinks. Right. He got, you know, it's, it was all recreational. It was not medical. Oh, to, I, 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 am, I am not denying that it was recreational. I'm just saying here he's, he could have applied for a card, applied for an instance of medicinal purposes, and look at it and say, hey, I could be exempt from so-and-so. But in reality, yes, he admitted he was at a party. Yes, he admitted it was a recreational purpose. Yes, he admitted he didn't have that for an ailing back. I'm just saying it looks hypocritical when Harry mentions it's a $25 ticket in in the city of Ann Arbor. He could apply for a medical marijuana card for the usage of medicinal purposes. I'm just saying you have all these things back up at the NCAA's corner, and then they all of a sudden reduce the suspension? I think it's ridiculous. And what and what bothers me is that after they reduced that suspension, McGarry appealed the fact that he was getting punished for a year. And they when, still and denied, they still their, denied his are, appeal, which is ridiculous. And to me, the NCAA reminds me of one of those parents that's very nitpicky with its kids and makes a lot of threats. Yeah. But as soon as soon as the is the uh, kids break the rules or go against what they say, they kind of nitpick which kids they like to punish. They have favorites and stuff like that. Uh, before the show, you brought up about how uh, the difference between the way the Ohio State uh, oh, case was handled and the way that the Johnny Manziel case was handled a couple years back. And I think that's a great example of the NCAA punished Ohio State, but they let Jenny, I mean, they only punished Johnny Manziel for a half because they knew that he was going to bring in revenue for him. And I think just to go off that, I mean, you're, you're saying it was hypocritical, and I do agree to some extent. I mean, you look at the Brandon Gibbons, you know, kicker for Michigan, so-called rapes a, wom- rapes a woman on campus. I think, I think the fact that Alleged you have rape. Dis- Alleged rape. dissociated with him, I feel like that shows that there's a lot of proof in that 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 could go to court and that could be true. The fact that they did take action after he graduated, I think that's almost an admission of guilt from U of M's standpoint. No, no, absolutely. But I'm saying like things like rape and that should have a way higher punishment, like ex- expulsion from a team or, uh, you know, you know, isn't it to a school at, at some schools that they'll ex- expel people? Absolutely. But when you're an athlete that the, the listen, when you're an NCAA athlete, I'm sorry, the rules don't apply. And I know that to some that would seem pretty ignorant to me, for me to say. Does. I mean, but the, yeah, to Mitch McGarry does <laughs> because it wasn't administered by the University of Michigan. If the test was administered mm-hmm. by the school, the ramification would have been different. That's what people need to realize here. Not that Faith doesn't realize. I'm just trying to get that word out. No, I completely agree. I know that with the tennis team, I think a failed drug test is the first offense is just a match suspension, and then you have to take a couple counts. Administered courses. by the school. A- administered by the school. And that's a lot different than a year. That's a big difference. A match. Well, that's that's the difference, though. The NCAA has a lot mm-hmm. more difficult punishments rather than school. Because I know Mitch McGarry, he had five times that he tested. Tested and they were all negative. And then when he goes into the NCAA tournament, they test him positive. He gets that one year suspension. There's no doubt. Mitch should, you know, Mitch McGarry should not have been smoking. He could go back and say that was a foolish decision. You know, it kind of goes back and says when Michael Phelps got caught in that report of deadspin with, you know, smoking and that, you know, that picture was released on the internet. He lost some sponsors. The point is, yeah, Mitch McGarry, you know, it was at fault here, but let's give the guy some credit. The guy came out. What's truth, truthful, told his story, as Professor L.A. Dickerson would always say here in this campus, always tell your story. He told his story honestly, faithfully, didn't hide behind anyone. And I'm not going to make any accusations here, Harry, but there are some athletes that will hide behind university administrators and not make anything happen. I agree. I think the way that McGarry handled it by apologizing, come out and saying Pretty exactly what he did, that's that's what I would say is professional compared to how a lot of professionals handle their failed drug test. You think of Ryan Braun, who pretty much ruined a guy's life when he tested positive for PEDs. He said the tam- sample was tainted. Uh, Alex Rodriguez went on 60 Minutes, I want to say, and lied and said he was done taking steroids and later tested positive. So the fact that Mitch McGarry was honest and said, yeah, I'm... I'm a kid. I made a mistake. I didn't say no at the party. I usually 
say no. I said I didn't say no. And uh, I thought that was very professional of him. And I think NBA teams are, are going to respect that, the fact that he did do that and he manned up and took responsibility for his actions. I mean, I agree completely. I don't think that anybody is going to discredit the fact that he owned up to his mistakes and he acknowledged them, you know, and he said, I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry to the Michigan fans. I'm sorry to my team. I'm sorry. And um, I regret what I did. But, I mean, I think that's a good, you know, question to bring up. Will it affect his draft status? I mean, that's another topic. I honestly... Don't believe it should. I think this comes down to basketball. Mm-hmm. I think this just comes down to basketball. And it's a shame that Mitch has to declare after being uh, in school for two years because this is a kid that wanted to stay in school and was forced to go because he loves the game of basketball. I think he could have used a couple more years in school faith to develop his skills. No, absolutely. I don't think it will affect his draft status, though. I mean, if you look at some of the other players, the NBA has such less punishments if they find athletes, you know, smoking or doing different things like that, you know, because they care about the game more than I think than anything. And uh, I I do believe what will hurt him the most will be his back situation. He only played eight games this season. So people are only going to be able to look at those eight games and say, so is he as good as he was freshman year or what's going on? Exactly. And you see big guys with back injuries or foot injuries. These guys are pushing a lot of weight around. They're big guys. He's 6'10", I want to say according to the program at University of Michigan, but I think that's a big red flag for universities. So I think that even though ESPN might hype it up or Yahoo Sports might hype it up, I don't think that the front office managers and GMs are going to care about this story much more so than the injury they're history not gonna, of them. Listen, they're not going to care about the story. I think the big issue is this decision that he made costed him is going to cost him millions of dollars. Not in the aspect of that, oh, he smoked once. It's because he's not going to be drafted as high as he would be next year. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion, he would have been a first-rounder next year. Now he's going to be a questionable second-round pick. So that costs him millions. Not to smoke, just by his basketball set of skills. You know, to most experts in the 2013 NBA draft, McGarry probably would have been top five. You know, and so they they say top five usually roughly makes eighteen million or so in the first five years of their NBA career, and so as it goes on, you know, yeah, he but, slipped down, and so yeah, but Faith, that's not really a valid point because if you look at that draft, there wasn't no Jabari Parker, there wasn't no Julius. I'm Randles. saying, I'm saying though that he lost out on a lot of money not going earlier, probably eleven million, let's say, because he his draft stock there's, just dropped. There's no doubt, but I'll never fault a kid for staying in school. Because, you know, I'll never fault a kid for staying in school. I, I agree with that, but this kind of goes Look up. at Marcus Smart. He took a gamble to go pro or to not to come back for another yeah. year because he loves university, and he costed him millions of dollars. I can't fault a kid for exactly. going pro. And uh, I think that the case of McGarry and the case of Marcus Smart, I think a lot of kids who have a great freshman year or who are highly touted coming out of high school, they're going to take the minimum. They're going to stay one year in, in college. They're going to look at these guys and say, these guys stayed and lost a lot of money. If I'm guaranteed a top 10 draft pick this year, I'm going to leave. I'm not staying that extra year because of injuries, because of Marcus Smart got in an altercation with fans, stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff to deal with and in the NBA you're getting paid in the college level you're not getting paid for what you do so basically you're saying he lost out on money exactly okay, oh that he was lost out on money. a lot okay. of money yeah I mean there's no doubt he lost out on money but I'm not going to fault the kid for staying in school I don't and, think anybody does right but you'd be surprised you have people in the M- you have people on ESPN or Yahoo saying that these guys should go pro I hear that all the time to be honest with you these kids should go pro but you know what I think Dick Vitale made a comment I think it was on a broadcast on a Duke UNC year whether Jabari should come back and you know what he made the comment saying I'm not going to fault the kid for going pro and you just can't. And you know, Mitch comes back. There's no way he thought he'd need back surgery. He injures his back. He gets back surgery. He plays in eight games. He hurts his draft stock. And look, he thought about coming back next year and killing it and going back to that same status that Fate mentioned. Top five, 2013 NBA draft. He injures his back. He has now a questionable character. I don't think, but I'm just telling you what executives will question him about. And you know, it's a shame. It's just a shame because you never want to see that happen to these kids at all. And it's just a perfect example how the NBA is just, you know, is this is a platform for players to go pro and to make their millions. But you know what? I can't fault these kids for staying. But then again, I can't blame them for going because the NCAA is an absolute disgrace of an organization that does nothing and does nothing about care about themselves. And I think that does anyone disagree with that sentiment? 
and you're an athlete. I know. I, I know. And you, I'm, um, I'm putting you on I'm the spot. I'm just hoping Mark Hollis isn't listening. But no, I do agree that the NCAA needs to be restructured. Mark Emmert's uh, the president of the NCAA. His his bi- his big uh, argument when he's going on these talk shows is that well, if you if you unionize athletes or if you start paying athletes, the whole model of college athletics is going to be completely blown up. Well, obviously he doesn't want the model of college athletics blown up because he's making 1.8 million a year Absolutely. off this. So I think it does need to that? be revamped. And I think that the players need to make a little bit more money, make some compensation. I'm not sure. I'm not any financial expert on what they should be making, but I do think it needs to change because obviously right now there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of people not happy you think about Shabazz Napier making comments about being hungry. And, and, and you, you heard about Shabazz's comments. And then ironically, a couple days after Shabazz makes the comments, oh, free food for the athletes. And then Mark It em- was in the works. What yeah, are you Mark Emmerich, about? exactly, Faith. Mark Emmerich makes the statement saying, oh, that was in the works all along. I don't think anyone would believe that, that that was in the works all along. Because when you see these athletes, they're working their tail off year-round to get on the court and to reach their dreams. And you look at Mark Emmerich, who's going to sit there and collect $1.8 million annually from his tax returns, that's public records, folks, and collect that money and not give back more to the athletes, I think is appalling and ridiculous. And the fact that they need to take this stance going forward needs to happen. We're going to take a quick break here on the pack. When we come back, we'll debate a little more about the NCAA discussion and whether or not these athletes should be paid. We'll bring in Manziel. We're bringing Jameis Winston talk. Tune in live here on the Pact. You're listening to the Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building. Without all that smoking. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, everyone. We're back here on the Pact. As always here, 517-432-3893 is our number. Feel free to call in and debate and embrace the Spartan debate with us here on the Pact. We're closing in 7.54 Eastern Time, about six, seven minutes before we head off air. Our producer behind the glass, John Yale, is informing me of a demonstration that was just done by the Miami Heat. And I think this just shows you the ripple effect of Don Sterling's comments. The Heat showed support of the Clippers by throwing down warm-up shirts at center court in silent protest of the game. That's a tweet from ESPN. So if that just says how the players are reacting from this, I know it wasn't really exactly what we were talking about. I just felt the listeners deserved the right if you were in your car or in the library or even just listening or streaming with us anywhere in the nationwide. You deserve the right to know that. But, you know, I, I know going into the break we were talking about this NCAA athlete discussing whether they should – at paid, should they not be paid? But I think another discussion that Northwestern football players have opened the door to is whether or not these athletes should be unionized. And that's another discussion that needs to be discussed is, okay, are these guys going to get paid? Can these guys be in unions? If that means they're in unions, that means they're in benefits, certain, certain instances where they can practice, where they cannot practice. I'm just curious to know what you guys think. Is this acceptable? Do you have a problem with Ari? And what if I told you that Coach Orlando discouraged you from unionizing with your team 
But JP came up to you and said, Harry, we're unionizing. Uh, Fina's referring to my coach and obviously my teammate JP in that. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing that I'm most disconcerted with the, in this situation. Uh, I was reading an article in the USA Today, and it was talking about how after the whole vote thing became public, Northwestern distributed to its players a, a document or a set of documents that just gave them the ramifications of voting yes. And uh, it was well publicized that Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach, went out and said, you guys should vote no to this vote. And I think that's a huge problem. It makes it look very, very bad for Northwestern because it seems like they're trying to repress these players. If I was Coach Fitzgerald, I would have just said, you guys can vote how you want to vote. We're going to give you any information you ask for. We're going to educate you, and you guys do what's best for you because I am your coach. I want what's best for you. So you guys are grown men. You guys are going to be entering the workforce in a couple years. So you guys can find out what's best for you and vote, and I'm going to stand by you either way. But instead of that, it it felt like Northwestern was kind of threatening these players, and I didn't think that looked good. I mean, I want to bring up a little quote by the coach. He said, quote, Understand that by voting to have a union, you would be transferring your trust from those you know, end quote. And so he's basically saying betrayal. So if you go against, you know, me, the administration, you know, you're betraying your school. It seems like a can of worms that no one really wants to open. The players already have the jar. And when you look at it, guys – to me, I think there's benefits for unionizing, but guess what? I don't think they should unionize at all. Well, and, go ahead. Well, I don't think Northwestern in particular is going to unionize. I know a couple of the co-captains came out and said, I understand the idea and I get it, but I just, it just don't doesn't think really this, make sense. this isn't the right place because we're at Northwestern. We receive a lot of the things that people say that we don't receive or we're not we're not struggling we're we we have it great the university has been great to us so i don't think it's going to happen at northwestern and i don't know if unionizing is the avenue but i definitely think change is coming let me ask you this guys let's just say northwestern unionizes hypothetically does that now create a serious rift amongst the players and the administration I, I agree with that because the university has made – I mean they came out and said if you vote this way, we might have to get replacement players for you. Uh, Faith brought up that co- quote from uh, Coach Fitzgerald. So they've made it that way rather than saying whatever you guys vote, we're going to stand by you. You guys are going to do what's best for you and we understand that. To me that's still very alarming though, guys, because when you look at the aspects of each side of the situation, okay, to unionize has its benefits – but to not unionize, it's almost like they're blackmailing the players. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's no place in that. I think there's no place for any of that in college athletics. You know, the NCAA is one animal, but this has nothing to do with going against the NCAA. This is just they want to unionize together. And this is all Kane Coulter leading the charge, if I can recall, mm-hmm. their quarterback. And guess what? I think Kane Coulter should worry about his play on the field because it wasn't <laughs> too good. Instead, he's worried about unionization. That kind of shows you where his head's at. But I think it's a sticky situation, Faith, because if they decide to unionize, I think you create a, such a great rift amongst the players, amongst the coaching staff, and you say this, this blackmailing, this is, I know what's best for you, I brought you here. It's just a situation no one wants to deal with. I mean, Coach even, I mean, I don't know if it's blackmailing, but I, he's definitely expressing that. I really don't want you to do this. <laughs> I mean, he came out and was like, there's nothing to gain from unionizing. And you know, it, it all comes down to these 76 players and what they vote. It will take months, and then it will take, obviously, years for other schools to let do me ask, as well. Let me ask you this. It doesn't sound like blackmail when, oh, we're going to get replacement players? Hmm. That doesn't sound like black. It's like, if you vote this, you're not playing. That's basically what it is. That's the bottom line. That sounds pretty blackmail to me. Am I wrong? It's definitely serious. It's definitely serious stuff, what Northwestern's If going you vote say. yes, we're going to find players that can play your position. <laughs> Look, I understand everyone in life is replaceable, but it seems pretty ridiculous, guys. Yep, and I think this is headed towards the fact that the players are eventually going to be able to sit down with administrations and the athletes are going to be able to make demands on what they want, and it's going to be a negotiation process. If it's not unionizing, it's going to be something of the sort. There's no doubt about it, and it is our last show with Harry Jaden here on The Pack. For everyone that's live with us every week, thanks for sticking with us on the school year. Austin, Faith, Lou, John Yale's behind the glass, and Harry, it's been nothing but a pleasure working for for all these times, and we're going to miss you here, bud. Thank you, Fino. Thank you, Impact Sports. And for everyone signing off, Harry, Jaden, and everyone that listens to us every week, thanks for the support. Go green, go white, and basically good luck in all your finals. For everyone, I'm Fino signing off for the evening. We'll catch you back next week.